This week's parsha is Parshas Kairach. Parshas Kairach is a uh, very frightening parsha because it's very hard to conceive that somebody as great as Moshe Rabbeinu and as great as Aaron, who literally gave their lives for Klal Yisrael, who were the uh, pillars of our entire Messiah, of our Taira, our Avaida. Uh, everything that Klal Yisrael is, is really primarily Meish Rabbeinu. There's no, it doesn't get greater than Meish Rabbeinu in terms of Kedusha, Nevuah, leadership, closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Anivas, anything that you would ever possibly aspire to being in life is Meish Rabbeinu. And Aaron, of course, was his his partner in Kedusha, and building the Mishkan, and leading Klal Yisrael. They were Shkulim Haim. And with that as a backdrop, to even begin to understand the level of temerity and audacity, and there's no stronger words in the, in the dictionary that I could think of that would really define the act of rebellion and insurrection, that Kairach V'adasai, committed against Meshach's leadership and against Aaron's role as the Kayin Gadol, it's a very, very disturbing parsha to put it mildly. Last week's parsha was pretty disturbing as well about the Meraglim, also a, uh, uh, a very, very bad uh, development in the history of Klal Yisrael. But nothing is really as heinous an act as that which Kairach perpetrated against Meshach Rabbeinu and against Aaron. And he not only did this on his own, but of course he attracted a pretty impressive roster of accomplices. He, uh, he took with him the uh, Dosan Naviram, who we know from already Sefer Shemais. Uh, these were people that were up to no good. Uh, he'd had Ein Ben Pelis on board originally until his wife gave him that terrific Eitzah to save him uh, by telling him that, what do you have to gain? If Meish Rabbeinu wins, you lose. And if Kairach wins, you lose. So stay out of it. It's not your fight. There's nothing for you to gain. And the Gemara says that this is what the Pasuk means when it says, Chachmas Nashim Bansa Besa, that the brilliance of a woman builds the home because she saved his life. But then he attracted 250 Nesiei Eida, 250 members of Sanhedrin, great Tamidei Chachamim. Most of them, Rashi says, were from Sheva Ruvain, Ayla Rasha, Ayla Shchenav. Ruvain was situated uh, in a position that neighbored the, uh, the tribe of the family of Kahas from Shevet Levi. And because Kairach was from Kahas, he had a bad influence on Sheva Ruvain, and that's why he was able to pick off so many of these people, these very, very Chasheva people, to be uh, his partners in crime. And they gather against Moshe and Aaron, and they say to him, Rav Lachem, that you have uh, way too much power. All of us, the entire assembly, we're all holy. Vashem. Uh, and Hashem is in our midst, He's among them. So, why 
Do you exalt yourselves over the congregation of Hashem? Why did you take so much power? Why did you get to be the Melech? And your brother, out of a pure nepotism play, you appointed as the high priest. And then uh, you have your your sons and your nephews and your cousins, and, and Kayach was upset that he wasn't given the role of Nasi, at least, of Shevet Levi. Kayach was a very powerful man. He was a brilliant man. He was a Pikeach, Rashi calls him, a very clever man. He was the wealthiest man. He was, uh, the Gemara says that he had 300 white mules that carried just the keys to his safes. You can imagine how much money he actually had. Just the keys to his safe, to all of his safes, were carried by 300 mules. So you can imagine the billions of dollars that he had. So he had a lot of power, but like Haman said, Kolza Einenu Shavali. All of this is worthless to me. The power, the money, the, the, the family that he had that was a beautiful family, the Torah that he learned, the Kedusha that he had attained. He was from the Neise HaAren. He was one of the people, the select few that got to carry the Aaron in the base of the, of the Mishkan with a Luches in it. He got to see the miracle of the Aaron being Neise as Neisav, that the Ark actually carried those who were supposed to be carrying it. So he was a pretty lucky man, Kairach. But all of it was sort of nothing in his eyes because he decided that he deserved power. He had great yichas from bottom to top and from top to bottom. He saw Benavua that he was going to be the uh, the he was going to have Shmuel come out of him as a descendant, and Shmuel was shakal kineged Moshe v'Aaron, Moshe v'Aaron bechayanav u'Shmuel bekarishemai. The pasuk says the Gemara Darshans that Shmuel was shakal kineged Moshe v'Aaron. So he saw. Wait a minute. I have this great yichas going up. My father was uh, Yitzar. My grandfather was Kahas. My great grandfather was. Levi, my great-great-grandfather was Yaakov Avinu. Going down, I have tremendous yichas. I see that I have a, a, a great-grandson that's going to be Shakal Kenegad Meshav Aaron. So I want more. I want to be able to be a powerful person. I want to have like a role that actually reflects my grandeur, my greatness. And he went up against Meshav Avinu, which was obviously a terrible, terrible move on his part. And then the Pasuk says as follows, heard this, all that was spoken, and he fell on his face. We'll get to what this means in a second. And then, he addresses and his entire congregation, his entire assembly, Lamar saying as follows, Boiker, come the morning, v'yayda Hashem es hasher and Hashem will know, or Hashem will make known, es hasher the one who is his own, v'es ha-kadosh, and who is really holy, v'hikri ve'lov, and he will draw him close to him. V'yayda hasher yivchar bai, yakriv elov, and whoever it is that he will choose, he will draw close to himself. And then the parsha continues, and ultimately it ends with Kairach, the getting swallowed up in the ground, getting burned by fire, 
um, and other sordid uh, consequences for this insurrection. What I want to focus on this evening is when Kairach, when Meshra Rabbeinu says to Kairach and his assembly, Biker, the morning. The morning, what, what, what's, what, what's, what happens in the morning? What, what's, what's Meshra Rabbeinu alluding to over here when he says the word Biker? So Rashi says um, on the spot that that biker is a reference to the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes boundaries in his world. He says, just like there is morning and then there is evening, and you cannot switch them over. Morning is morning, evening is evening, and you can never, ever change that. There is a set boundary that uh, divides the two, and nary will they ever overlap or replace one another. As the Pasuk says, it was evening and it was morning, and that's the way it is forever. There's night, and then there's the next day that the sun rises. Vayavdel, and Hashem separated them. So too, Vayavdel Aaron Lakdishai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu separated that same Lashon of Abdullah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu divided and separated Aaron, proclaiming him to be holy. So that's one shot that Rashi brings in the word biker. Biker means that Maishu Rabbeinu is saying, listen, morning, what does morning mean? Morning means that the same way that there is a set defined um, boundary of morning, and then there is a set defined boundary, which is evening, that's how it is. Aaron, in nature, has been set aside, has been designated as the Kayin. You want to try to change positions with him, you can't. It's not possible to ever do anything to usurp the power of Aaron because Aaron is a fixture. He is a Vayavdel Aaron. Aaron was set aside, was designated the same way that the morning and the night were designated each in their respective roles. Aaron was designated as the Kayan and you could do whatever you want. You can make all the rebellions you want. You cannot take away the Kedusha and the role and the covet that is belonging to Aaron and his children, period. That's one shot that Rashi uh, offers us. I wanted to suggest a new pshat, um, if I may, to explain perhaps what Meishu Rabbeinu meant by saying the word biker. The Pasuk prior to this Pasuk, as I said before, said, Vayishma Meishu Vayipalapanov. Meishu Rabbeinu heard, and he fell on his face. He fell on his face, like he started laying tachanon. He started like a, like a, an avela sort of, a despair to fall on your face is an act of utter despair. What did he hear that caused him to fall on his face? What was the vayishma meisha? So if you look in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, and Kofiudam and Aleph, which, by the way, if you're interested in really seeing the 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 true back story of Kairach and Meishu Rabbeinu and this whole parsha it's very worthwhile getting taking out uh, a, a Sanhedrin and looking at Kuf Tesamid Beis 109b and Kuf Yudamid Aleph 110a and you just read it it reads like a storybook and it tells you all of the stories that you probably know but you didn't know where it was from it's all from that Gemara whether it's about 
Eishas Kairach and about how his wife gave him these horrible, horrible ideas in his mind to turn him against Meshur Abenu. And then on the other side, the beautiful uh, story of Ein Ben Pelis and how his wife saved him and exactly how she did it and the clever way that she went about uh, this uh, rescue of her husband. And so many other details about Kairach and about what caused him to become Kairach and, and, and what all the names that Kairach had, what they alluded to and how wealthy he was. All this can be found in this Gemara in, 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 in Sanhedrin. But listen to this particular Gemara. It's on Kof Yudam and Aleph in Sanhedrin. Mashmu Hashama, the Gemara asks, what exactly did Moshe Rabbeinu hear that made him fall on his face? So the Gemara says something incredible. Shechashtuhu me'eshes ish. All of the people in the rebellion, these 250 members of Sanhedrin, and Kairach, and Dasan, and Aviram, all of them together, they were chayshed Moshe They suspected publicly that Moshe was committing adultery with their wives. Shenemar, as the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Vayikanu l'mosha b'machana, that they warned, like a Lushen, like we had by Saita in Parashas Nasli, there is something called kinoi and stira. <coughs> kinoi means, I don't want you being miyached with that man. I, I suspect that you have a certain, my wife has a certain interest in that man, I don't want you to be miyachid with her. I do not want you to go into seclusion with her. That's the first step of a saita. If she actually goes into seclusion with her, with this man, and witnesses see that they were in a private area for a certain amount of time, that the act could be committed between them, so then uh, that's what starts the entire process of saita as we know it. But incredibly... All of these members of the rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu, they accused Moshe of having possible affairs with their wives. And this is something that, you know, if you hear, you don't even understand that. I mean, if we understand who Moshe Rabbeinu is and the incredible kedusha that Moshe Rabbeinu had, and if we wouldn't, Moshe Rabbeinu had to wear a mask most of his life, because the rays of, of Kedusha, of, of holiness and sanctity, were, were too strong for anyone to be able to, to watch him for an extended period of time, because his, the shine on his face was, so, was, was too bright. He was a person that himself separated from his wife, because he was at any moment able to have a nevuah with Hashem, have a communication with Hashem. So he felt that it was inappropriate even to have a, have a marital relation with his wife. And he should, he should have a relationship with, with, with 253 people's wives. He had no, nothing better to do. He had, he had the time for this. He was, he, it's, 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 you can't even say this. It's something that's so ludicrous that it's hard to even understand how they could utter the words that Moshe Rabbeinu had to hear and not get burned up just by the mere utterance of these of this accusation. But this is what the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, that Moshe Rabbeinu heard that he was being accused of being with married women, 
And that's why he fell on his face. What do we see from this? That Moshe Rabbeinu suffered tremendous busyness. He had tremendous disgrace, embarrassment, humiliation from Kairach Vadasai. Why did they do this? Obviously, there was zero truth to any of these accusations against them. They were trumped up charges. What did they want? They probably wanted Moshe Rabbeinu either to really get his goat, make him get so angry that he sort of loses his composure and stoops to a level that he afterwards would regret, which is one tactic that people use sometimes when they are trying to really, you know, get in the gutter with somebody else. Or maybe they wanted him to be so embarrassed and so humiliated by the mere uh, charges against him that he would maybe just retire, resign, uh, abdicate his throne, and, and, and then maybe Kairach would be able to take over somehow. But whatever the intentions of Kairach was, clearly um, Moshe Rabbeinu suffered terrible, terrible busyness. If you can imagine, if one woman alone would come and accuse uh, a very big rabbi of doing such a thing, it would be, you know, it would be in every paper, it would be terrible busyness, terrible suffering. This was hundreds of people all coming together. Their husbands were very chashuv, and they were accusing Moshe Rabbeinu somehow, some way, of doing this act. And Moshe Rabbeinu should have really been very, very angry and and extremely upset. Yes. Is it perhaps possible that maybe, like that one mission in Marcus, where it's just like a kanunya, that when you have all this mishigas going on, it's... Just all that this is just some steam, and maybe it's not embarrassing at that point in time. Okay, possibly, but you know, it, it still is certainly not a feather in Moshe Rabbeinu's cap to have even you know, you know, any anything of the sort being acu- accused him of. Moshe Rabbeinu answers all of this. The response to Moshe Rabbeinu of this. Pasuk of Ayishma Meshvipalapanov, after hearing this, what does he say? You know what he says? He says one word. Biker. Mourning. What does that word mean? What does the word mourning have to do with anything? So we have to look in a Gemara in Shabbos and Dapechasimabez, and the Gemara says there as follows. Hanelovim ve'enon Elvin. If somebody gets embarrassed, gets humiliated, the Ainan Oven, and does not dish it out. He takes it, but he does not retaliate. Somebody, let's say, comes over to somebody else and starts screaming at him in public and humiliating him and saying all of the worst things to him, and that person has the opportunity to lash back at him and say, oh, really? You're calling me this? You don't know what you did. And, you're, you know, and you know, if you think I'm bad, what about you? But instead of doing that, you just take it. You just sort of brace yourself for the assault against you, and you do not retaliate. You do not return fire. Shaiman cher Those select people that hear... Their humiliation, but they do not respond. Again, they are humiliated, they are embarrassed, they are 
completely roasted, but instead of giving it back, they respond with utter silence. They just take it. And they continue to do their mission with love. And they are happy with the humiliation. Meaning, instead of saying, this is awful, and how am I going to live through this, and it's busyness, and it's terrible, instead they say, you know what, Baruch Hashem, I'm happy. It's tremendous. These Yisurim are wonderful. I'm able to be embarrassed. And when you get embarrassment in, in this world, we know that it cleans a lot of your slate in the next world. A lot of the things that we were supposed to suffer in the next world with a little embarrassment in this world, uh, a lot of it gets cleansed. So if you have that hashkafa, if you have that outlook, that, you know, as bad and as humiliating, as embarrassing as it was, but I'm happy, I'll take these surim, I'll, I'll, I'll cherish those, uh, those words that I just heard said about me, and I'll, they'll be my trophy, they'll be my treasure. I'll lay in on such people that are able to do this, to be on such a high level, that they're able to take it, but not give it back, and they're happy, they do with love, and they're with joy, and they, they're, they're okay with the fact that they were uh, tortured so badly. On them, the Pasuk says, in Shaiftim, the Ayavav Kitseis Hashemesh Bigvurasai. Those that love him are like the sun going out in its strength. What does that mean? Well, the sun knew a, t- a thing or two about Bizyanus, because the sun was really supposed to be. Uh, in control of all of the ma'iris, all of the illuminations, all of the uh, the luminary, the illuminating bodies in the in the in the hemisphere and the galaxies, but along came the Lavana, as we know, the moon came and says, "Who is the sun to be so powerful?" and uh, and I don't want to share the power with him. I think that I should be king. And he was suffering a lot. The sun was suffering a lot. Instead of giving Hashem a hundred reasons why he should be in control, he didn't say anything. The son was Nela Vena Oilev. He took it and he did not give it back. He heard his charpa, he heard all the tainas that the moon said about him, but Enam Eshivan, he didn't respond. And instead, every morning the sun goes out in full strength, son is happy every day to go out and to do its mission and to do it because Hashem told him to, and he doesn't get rattled by any criticism, by any suffering, by any people that are trying to degrade him and put him down. He's able to be Teflon, to be able to bounce back every single morning and do it with full strength to come out in the morning with the rays of the sun, and to show the world how a person should be a proper servant of Hashem, to be able to take a lot of busyness and not give it back, to be mature and to be so strong as to not need to retaliate. When a person has that midah of the sun, he's considered v'ayavav, and that's the highest level that a yid could reach.
That's the highest level that he could reach. If a person could attain that level, that he's so in control of himself and his emotions, and his mission is so clear to him, and he doesn't let people derail his mission, and let all the people say all the nasty things that they want, that comes with the territory. It's impossible for any person that is in a leadership position to not be hated and despised. And some people say that that's a... You know, that's a, a compliment. When a person has haters, that means he must be doing something right. If, if a person has, everyone loves him, then, you know, he's probably just, uh, you know, very, he's like not really leading, he's following. But if a person's a leader, so there's always going to be people, whether it's a Rav that's a leader, whether it's a mayor or governor or president, a prime minister, uh, the local door catcher, anyone in a position of power has detractors, has people that it's going to say he's not doing a good job and he's, he did a, you know, he botched up this and the way he dealt with COVID and the economy is in dirt and, you know, he can't get a deal passed in Congress and, and you know, he's, he's supposed to be with the right and he moved to the left and all these criticisms, that's par for the course. And the life of a Yid is the same way. When we have people that are detractors, when we're in a position of power, of leadership or, or just being and there are people that say horrible things to our face or behind our back, and they're putting us down. And we have the ability to, to, to retaliate and to give it back, and we have plenty of, of, of retorts and lines that are zingers that we could really, really lace back into the person that's attacking us. And instead, we hold our fire. And instead, we take it, and we brace ourselves for the onslaught, and we do not give it back, and we're silent. A person like that is like the sun in the morning coming out in its full strength. Moshe Rabbeinu, I believe, was saying one word to Kairach V'adasai. You are saying terrible things to me. You're accusing me of the most disgusting act that you could ever possibly dream up. It's not possible for them to have said things to Moshe Rabbeinu that were worse than that. And then they continue to undermine him and accuse him of nepotism, accuse him of promising to bring them into the, into the land flowing with milk and honey and then reneging on that promise and how, you know, they, they just kept on saying things that were worse and worse and worse to Maishu Rabbeinu and to Aaron. Maishu Rabbeinu could have really answered them in a thousand different ways, a thousand different ways. Instead, Maishu Rabbeinu chose to be like the sun, biker, biker. Biker means in the morning, the sun comes up and the sun shows its strength. It doesn't matter what the moon said about me. It doesn't matter what it, what it accused me of and, and how it's trying to usurp my power. I'm the sun and I'm going to rise in the morning with happiness and with purpose and with vigor and with zeal in order to do the Ratzon Hashem. Maish Rabbeinu says to them, in the morning you'll see the difference between you and me. I'm going to come and I'm going to once again be a leader. I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm not going to even try to answer you. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to countenance your accusations. I'm not going to glorify you by even responding to what you're saying. But I will say, Biker, that in the morning the sun rises and I will rise as well. And history will show for all time that Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of 
giving it back and stooping to the lowest levels and, and wrestling in the gutter with Kairach, he took the high road. He says, in the morning, you'll see who I am. Just like the sun rises, you shouldn't think for a second that all of the chutzpah and all of the bezyainis that I've heard from you, that it affects me and that it will derail me from my mission? No. Just like the sun in the morning goes and is stronger and illuminates the world, so too I will continue on my mission. I think according to this, it gives a little bit more of a of an understanding to a Gemara in Nadarim. The Gemara in Nadarim on Lamatesima based on 39b, the Gemara says that during this time when Kairach was mounting his rebellion against Meshur Rabbeinu, Alu Shemesh Viareach Merakia Lizvol, the sun and the moon went up from their own heaven to another heaven called Zavol. The Amru Lufanov, and he say, they said before Rabbi Nishalaylam, Hashem, Imata Isa Din Leben Amram, if you do proper justice to Kairach and Adasa for what they're doing to Ben Amram, Anu Meirim, we will continue to give forth our light. The Imlav, but they were giving an ultimatum to Hashem. If you don't, Listen, and you don't stop the, this terrible insurrection of Kairach Vados against Meshe Rabbeinu. We are on strike. We will not do our job. We will not tomorrow morning rise, and tomorrow night the moon will not come out. This was the threat that the sun and the moon made at this point in time. Just parenthetically, the Gemara says that HaKadosh Baruch was not so happy with the fact that the sun and the moon were sticking up for Meshra Rabbeinu because Hashem says to them, really? He says, all of a sudden, you're, you, know, you know how to make a macha, you know how to protest for the covet of Meshra Rabbeinu? What about the fact that every single day there are people that are bowing down to you guys, to the sun and the moon? Millions of people are, are worshipping you, and you never, you never say, well, if they don't, you know, if they don't stop worshipping me, and, and having a chutzpah to Hashem by worshipping us, then we're not going to rise. That you never, you never were worried about my covet, said Hashem. You're worried about your own covet. It says that every morning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like shoots arrows at the sun and the moon to make sure that they come out, like it or not. But that's the end of the Gemara. But what is the Havamin in the Gemara? What was the sun doing defending Meish Rabbeinu? And I think the answer is because Meish Rabbeinu and the sun... We're very closely related. Just like the sun was the Pasuk says, the sun, no matter what its detractors say, continues in its daily mission with joy. That's my Shrabbeinu. My Shrabbeinu every morning. Biker, the morning you'll see, I'll get up in the morning, I'll daven with the Gishmak, I'll start doing my mission once again, and you're not going to affect me whatsoever. I'm happy. If you're insulting me, I'll take it on the chin and I will live with it, but I will not be in any which way shaken from my core mission in life, and that's to lead Klal Yisrael. So the sun 
had to go and take a stand because the son was really defending the position of Meshur Rabbeinu. Look what Meshur Rabbeinu is doing. He's doing something superhuman. He is taking a lot of chutzpah from people and he's not giving it back. So HaKadosh you have to defend him. It might be also that this is why when Meshur Rabbeinu heard this terrible uh, accusation about the Eishas Ish at him, it says, Vayipal al-Panov, he fell on his face. What is the face of Meshur Rabbeinu? The Gemara says in Bava Basra, in Heim and Aleph, Pnei Meshur, Kipnei Chama. The face of Meshur Rabbeinu was like the face of the sun. Meshur Rabbeinu was very similar to the sun. When he heard this accusation against him, and he, he was, instead of giving it back, he fell on his face, meaning he was exactly like the sun. The sun falls on its face, as it were. The sun does not take the, uh, the opportunity to, to, to take revenge and, and to give it back. So too it is with the, um, with Maishra Rabbeinu. Maishra Rabbeinu had the opportunity to retaliate, but chose to take the high road, chose to be exactly like the sun, and that's what he meant when he said the word biker. I want to tell you a Misa with Reb Chaim Kanievsky. It's one of my favorite Misa, so if you heard it already, please forgive me. There was a, um, a couple that were married for many, many years, and they did not have children. And they went to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. I think they were married 15 years. They didn't have children. And they said, Reb Chaim, we need a baby. Please give us a bracha. And Reb Chaim, you know, I guess saw Baruch HaKadosh that it wasn't happening, that this couple were not destined to have a child in a, in a normal way. He said, I'm sorry, I would just be wasting your time. If I would give you the bracha and I would you know, let you leave here with false hope that you know something might come of the bracha, it would not be appropriate for me to do that. And I, I have to be honest with you, I don't see you having a child together. So they started crying and they pleaded with him, give us an so we need an so we cannot remain childless forever. So Chaim said to them, listen, I don't have the power to give you the bracha, which is an incredible thing, by the way, because Rebel Yashiv, Reb Chaim Kanievsky's father-in-law, said about his son-in-law that he holds the keys to brachas in our generation. Meaning, if you want to go to the source of blessings in this generation, it would be Reb Chaim, my son-in-law. So if Reb Chaim is saying that he can't give a bracha, that's a pretty big statement for him to make. So Reb Chaim continued and says, listen, I can't give you a bracha, but the Gemara in Shabbos, which I just quoted, speaks so highly of somebody that's ne'elovim vein and ovim, a person that gets insulted, but does not give back the insult. That's a very high level to reach. It's a person that's almost superhuman because it's so human to want to retaliate, to want to give it back. And if a person is able to just brace themselves for the onslaught and not retaliate and not give it back, that's a person that if you could get a bracha from, 
it's Kedai. Maybe that would work, but I can't give you any brachas. Okay, so they were, you know, now they were on the search for for somebody that would be uh, able to give them a bracha when they are, when, when they're in the state of now love and Ovim. Okay, so now we have to switch scenes to a different couple who lived in B'nai Brak, not far from where the first young couple lived. And this was a young married couple, and they were looking to buy an apartment in B'nai Brak. And they were going from one you know, broker's open house to another broker's open house. Finally, they came to a certain apartment, and they fell in love with it. They said, this is our apartment. It has everything that we want, everything that we're looking for. It has the right amount of bedrooms, the right amount of bathrooms, and southern exposure, and whatever. Everything that they were looking for was there. And they were, as they were looking and schmoozing with the owner, with the broker, a woman walks into the apartment, into this like open house, and she starts screaming at these people, don't buy this apartment. This apartment is, there's full of dibooks in this apartment. The owner's a terrible person. You're, gonna, you're not going to have any success in this apartment. You're going to have nothing but heartache if you buy, end up buying this apartment. Like I'm a sugar lady that was saying all types of crazy stuff. And, uh, and, you know, and the other people in the room were just saying, you know, ignore her. She's not well or whatever. But she was like saying to these people, you're, you know, you cannot buy this apartment, it's haunted, and it's, there's dip books, there's mazikim in here, don't, I, I absolutely insist that you don't buy this apartment, and that was basically uh, the end. But they ended up buying the apartment. In spite of this whole thing, the price was right, and they liked the apartment, they liked the neighborhood, so they ended up going to contract, and they ended up closing on this apartment. And so they moved in, and now they were invited, now they wanted to try to, you know, get a chevra in the community, they wanted to try to make some friends for him, for her, and they were invited to the first uh, simcha in this community. So a neighbor invited them, let's say, to a chasna, and they were sitting, uh, I guess, separate seating, and this woman... This, that just bought this apartment was sitting by the table schmoozing with other women from the building, from the neighborhood and trying to make a good impression and all of a sudden this Meshugana lady that was the one that was screaming at her not to buy the apartment and she knew that she had bought the apartment so this lady comes over in the middle of a chasna you know, and starts screaming and, you know, when somebody comes over in the middle of, the, of a chasna and starts screaming, everyone goes quiet Right, suddenly you can hear a pin drop in this in this wedding hall. And this woman is screaming, I told you not to buy it, and you're crazy for not listening to me, and you have the chutzpah that, you know, I give you my advice, I didn't have to, and I gave it to you, and you're not listening to it, and, you know, you're, you know, you're going to have nothing but terrible things in your life now, and you're going to be cursed, and you deserve every curse that you... Like, she was, like, spewing such venomous disgusting words at this poor lady who was turning red and green and black. And she was going through Shiva Madura Ganem, the seven different phases of Ganem, all at once. And, you know, in front of this new community, everybody is looking at her like the crazy one. And she got up and she was about to start screaming back at this Meshuggah lady and telling her, you're crazy and you have no right to talk to me that way. And, you know, giving her it all back in her face. 
Now, at this chasna was the woman who had not had children for 15 years. And she immediately understood the entire calculus of what was going on here and how this woman was getting a barrage of insults and she was about to give it back. This woman hops the whole thing and she runs over to this woman that was being assaulted and she says, please, I'm begging you, Laman Hashem, do not say anything. Just take it. Take everything that she's giving you and smile. Be smechim, be surim. Take it, ba'ava. Please do not say a word to her. Just please let her finish and just let her go away. And that's exactly what this woman did. And then after she left, after this crazy woman left, so the woman that was being assaulted asked this childless woman, what was that all about? Why did you stop me? And she told her the whole story about how she hasn't had children for 15 years and they're desperate. And they went to Chaim Kanievsky. Chaim told her that the only person that would have the power to bless you, to have a child when it's impossible, is a person that's on the level of Hanelavim Venim Ovim. Shaim Cherpas Venim Eshivin. Oisin Me'avos Mechem Bisurim. Please give me a bracha right now that you're in the heat of things, and that you just were able to stop yourself and to be in Nela Vena Eilev, give me the blessing that I and my husband should have a child once and for all. She blessed her, and within that year, they were finally Zaycha to have a baby boy. This is the power of being able to be like the sun that goes out every single morning, this is the power of somebody that's able to be like the sun, who no one in history had done much, has done nearly as much and suffered as greatly as he. He took us out of Mitzrayim, he split the sea, he got the Torah for us, he led us through the Midbar for 40 years. All the terror that we have is his. And he made himself into a midbar, into a, into a shmata, to give over Tyra at any cost. And the best that Klai Yisrael were able to repay him, and the spitz of Klai Yisrael, not the lowest level of Klai Yisrael, the greatest of Klai Yisrael. This is a serious rebellion. This is a rebellion that included Kairach, Dasan, Aviram, 250 heads of Sanhedrin. does not get a better VIP list than that. They were the ones that undermined Meshur Abenu. They were the ones that accused him of being Mizana Beishasish. They were the ones that accused him of nepotism, of taking way too much power in a, in a desperate power grab. And instead of saying a word, Meshur Abenu chose to be like the sun, to take it and not give it back. And throughout our life, we sometimes will be faced with such opportunities. Hopefully not too many of them. We don't daven that we should be put into an Isaiah and that people scream at us and tell us things that we don't like to hear and insult us and humiliate us publicly, privately, in papers, in, in, you know, behind our back, through our face. We should never have that. But sometimes we know that we might have experienced that and there's a very good chance that we'll experience it again because if we're doing anything of significance communally, organizationally, 
uh, religiously, professionally, if we're in any position of power, there will always be haters. There will always be people that attack. And we have a choice to make. When we're being attacked, do we give it back or do we try to brace ourselves and accept it and absorb it so that we're able to be like the sun in the morning? We could do the human thing and give it back and all, will, all that will happen is we will get embroiled in this machlekes that will never, ever end. But if we're able to take it and accept it and take the surin me'ava and besimcha and realize that maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted me to suffer like this so that I won't have to suffer maybe a more a physical uh, uh, damage or uh, or emotional damage in a different sort, and maybe because I got this embarrassment, I it, it avoided a car accident, or worse, it avoided uh, terrible yisurim in Gehenna, which we know that the price that you pay in Gehenna is a lot costlier than it is here. Here, with a little bit of pain, you're able to eradicate tons more of suffering in the next world. The next world suffering is a much deeper, more profound suffering. And so in this world, we're able to somehow, by being insulted, and by the way, I always have to give a caveat whenever I'm speaking about this, this does not mean that a person should accept abuse. Okay, A person should not be abused. If a person's, let's say, working for a, a boss or, a, you know, or has somebody in their life that's constantly abusing them, uh, that's wrong. And that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody that, you know, decides to start up with us and cause embarrassment, but it's not an abusive like marriage or an abusive relationship or an abusive boss. That's a different discussion. We're talking over here about somebody like Kairach that comes up and tries to undermine us, try is talking bad about us, is really, you know, causing us a lot of personal anguish and we have a choice to make. The right thing to do in that case is to take the high road, and when we take the high road, our blessings that we give and the blessings that we will possess in our own personal life will be so rich and so valuable that even Reb Chaim Kanievsky says that that is a level that he has yet to attain.